Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up! Don't tell me what I can't afford. There's nothing I can't afford. I could buy and sell everyone in this room. You going to call your parents for money? No, motherfucker! It's my money! Just get me a PDA, a SWIFT number, and a recipient name. I have accounts in Switzerland, Luxembourg, and the Isle of Man. Just name your fucking price! Trust me, I got it! Welcome to The Secret Cinema, the film podcast that is always watching. I'm Paolo Carone, my co-host is Carrie Chafee, and this week we're joined by director, actress, and most importantly, my sister, Alex Carone, to discuss Eli Roth's 2007 horror satire, Hostel Part 2. Before we get into that, I wanted to say something eloquent about the recent election, but Anyone who's listened to me stutter knows that's not going to happen, so instead I'll just say this. Either you care about and work for the well-being and happiness of everyone who shares this planet, or you're worthless to me and everyone else. To quote the novel Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut, there are plenty of good reasons for fighting, but no good reason ever to hate without reservation. To imagine that God Almighty himself hates with you, too. Where's evil? It's that large part of every man that wants to hate without limit. That wants to hate with God on its side. It's that part of every man that finds all kinds of ugliness so attractive. And to quote Kurt Vonnegut's God bless you, Mr. Rosewater, there's only one rule that I know of, babies. God damn it, you've got to be kind. Alright, with that said, here's Carrie with the plot summary. While studying abroad in Italy, three American women decide to vacation at a Slovakian hostel. Meanwhile, two American businessmen travel to that very same Slovakian hostel with a very different kind of vacation in mind. Soon, their paths cross, and the women find out that the hostel isn't just renting out beds, but also their tenants. Will the women survive, or will they be forced? To check out early. Hostel Part 2 splits its time fairly evenly between the three American girls, Beth, Whitney, and Lorna, and the two American men, Todd and Stuart. However, where the girls' plotline follows a more familiar trajectory, Todd and Stuart's plotline allows the film to step back from the horror and more explicitly explore concepts like capitalism, masculinity, and misogyny. In our first clip, Todd and Stuart are out for a jog, waiting for their victims to be rounded up, when Todd eagerly makes the comparison between the thrill of sex and violence to the nervous and unfocused Stuart. One thing I want to add here, since we forgot to mention it in discussion, the pager that tells Todd and Stuart when their victims are ready is indistinguishable from a pager you'd receive while waiting for a table at a fancy restaurant. Anyway, here's that clip. Do you remember the first guy in your high school get laid? No, but I remember the last. Well, I do. This kid, Greg, he came back from summer break. Something about him had, had changed. And it wasn't anything he said or did, but something was different. You just knew it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like a, 
It's like you can sense it the way an animal senses it. Exactly, like an animal. And sometimes you meet a guy and there's just something fucking scary about him. Something makes you think this guy has killed somebody. He doesn't have to act tough, he never has to say it. But like an animal, you can sense it. You know that this guy's got the balls to do what few others can't. And that's you after today, my friend. People are gonna fucking fear you. Linda is gonna fucking fear you. What we do today is gonna pay off every day for the rest of our fucking lives. Where's your pager? It's back in the room. Come on, man, what the fuck? Well, I just figured you had now, your... Is it me? Because it feels like you're, you're like having second thoughts. No. You've never been, really been into it. Like, no. like, I feel like I'm talking you into it. I don't want to be man. doing something and keep talking about it. No, it's just it's Dude, a lot different I'm from so clicking on a fucking I'm so fucking image. tired of talking about it. It's time we fucking do it. Stewart may come across as more likable and reasonable here, as he fails to exude any of the toxic machismo Todd is spewing. So it comes as somewhat of a surprise when Stewart's inner feelings about women reveal themselves. In our second clip, we hear Stewart's misogyny emerging in a rant half-directed at his captive, Beth, and half-directed at his non-present wife, who Beth resembles. Also, for some context, Beth is misleading Stuart to set up her own escape, so her flirtation is not to be taken literally. Here's that clip, and we'll see you on the other side for a discussion of Hostel Part 2. You notice anything different about me? I bet you fucking do. Fuck, bitch. For you! All fucking day for you to humiliate me. Tell me I'm shit. Never fuck me. Look at you. What? Oh, you got something to say? Do you? You do, bitch? Yeah? Oh, good. Well, it better be fucking good. Fucking hear it, what? I'm not your wife. I'm not your wife, Stuart. I'm not your wife. She doesn't understand you. She doesn't understand you. Like I do, and I, I see how you're strong. I am strong. I, I am see fucking Hercules! I know. I know. I see it. I see it. I saw it last night. I was hoping you would kiss me. I wanted you to kiss me. I I thought about you all night. Get on the fucking floor. Today we are talking about Hostel 2, and we have a very special guest. Guest, could you introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Alex Carone. I am Paul's Paolo's sister. Yeah. <laughs> Paul or Paolo. Paolo's sister. And uh, I'm a theater student interested in technical theater, an amateur director, and I've been acting in theater for 
What did you direct? I directed The Pillow Man most recently by Martin McDonough. But you also directed some Samuel Beckett. You did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So. I don't remember what I've done, but it's a lot of experimental theater and weird, weird shit. Yeah. But you're accomplished, is my point. You might think of yourself as an amateur, but you directed some good stuff. All right. Well, we're very happy to have you here for a... Not really experimental movie, but uh, <laughs> a movie that you and I share an appreciation of, Hostel 2. Uh, Alex, tell me a little bit uh, about your thoughts on Hostel 2. Well, uh, Hostel 2 is a really interesting movie. It is... Watching it again, I always thought of it as a really gory, gore-fest, like, torture, crazy movie, but it's not... It's not even that gory upon rewatching. It's an exploration of a lot of different themes that seem a lot deeper for an Eli Roth movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love, it explores a little bit of, like, interpersonal relationships between women and is kind of feminist to some degree, but it also has a lot of themes of, like, foreign isolation, just the... The Americans in a foreign city not understanding the language, having to have translations, and really even when you feel at ease when something seems warm and friendly and comfortable, just really not understanding cultures and customs. Yeah, there's a lot of good subtext in here that even if they don't go out of their way to make the subtext the, the point of the movie, it's still... They, they clearly thought about it and wanted you to think about it. And there's also some capitalist, obviously, not even subtext. The capitalism oh, yeah. <laughs> is like the whole point of the movie, uh, the capitalist critique, I should say. And then the, the way in which, like you said, the feminist part of the movie kind of leads to a critique of misogyny, or at least like a little bit of an exploration of how misogyny kind of functions within certain people in later scenes of the movie, too. Yeah, it does a lot. It, it's surprising how much the the very minimal torture elements of this movie overshadow all of like the more thoughtful parts of it. And I, I guess when you speak to the, the critique of misogyny, it ties directly into the capitalist ideas. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a really important subtext that they do explore. I can't think of a very yeah. well, very good example right now. We'll get into specifics yeah. eventually. But yeah, I when I first saw this movie, I had never seen Hostel, and I hadn't seen any of the Saw movies. So this would probably be the first uh, movie that falls under the umbrella of torture porn that I ever saw. And honestly, because like I said, I haven't seen Hostel 1, so I have no idea why I went and saw this movie. I saw it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, why did I you I saw see it in theaters at like 11 in the morning, and like probably there were two or three other people in it, but I saw it in a Megaplex, too. Was, <laughs> but did, you, did someone recommend it to you or something? It might have had good reviews. Usually, back then, if I went and saw something out of nowhere, it was because it had suddenly good reviews. And I think this does have decent reviews. I forgot to look it up. But... Maybe, and it, it might have been the Quentin Tarantino thing, but Tarantino worked on the first one, so I don't know. But I went and saw it, and I remember even back then being like, wow, this is way better than I expected to, it to be. And I saw it, when I first saw it, I would have seen it on 35mm, and so it looked incredible. We watched the Blu-ray, and it still looks really good. Again, something we're going to get into. But yeah, it holds up really well. It was, it's, I've never watched this and disliked it. I've definitely had periods where... I've been away for it for a while, and I assume I've aged out of it, or I've just forgotten a bunch of gross stuff. And then I go back, 
and like I rewatched it before we watched it today, and I noticed a bunch of little, very intelligent choices that show that this actually is a really strong film, regardless of how Eli Roth's other films might be. This is it's and definitely how campy it gets. I yeah, mean, yeah, it's it's, over the top. It is a really impressive work, uh, if not like a masterpiece. It's definitely like a movie worth consideration. Now, Carrie, you—that's me. You had never seen this before, <laughs> and uh, you had steadfastly refused watching this movie before today. So tell us about well, what you're part of why I didn't want to watch it is because I have seen a lot of those Saw movies and the movies where people just get like hacked and tortured to death for no reason other than the audience maybe enjoys it. I don't know. <laughs> I have never really enjoyed watching people get tortured to death. It's not really my cup of tea. <laughs> uh, but, so, and then also, I've got to say that watching this movie, we just watched this movie after being at a 24-hour horror film festival yeah. where we saw a mix of good and bad and gruesome and ugly and disgusting and provocative. And so for me, this movie was, like, pretty straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> Comparatively. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I was never confused about what was going on. There were times where I looked away, but it was mostly just because, again, I don't really like watching people get tortured but it wasn't so gross or disgusting that i was like why would this film do this yeah you know i never really questioned the film's motivations but yeah i i thought this movie looked beautiful but again i thought it was like really straightforward yeah. i don't know if there was maybe there's more subtext than what i'm i'm seeing on the first viewing but and i also i want to get into this idea because you said that this is like a feminist movie and I would argue that I don't think it's like pro-feminism as much as it's pro-capitalism and I don't really think there's any misogyny but I also don't really think there's any like real feminist statement to this movie. Okay well that's an interesting thing we definitely debate a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Because I would I mean <laughs> I mean, we can get into it now if you want, but I don't think that any of the female characters were really, like, incredibly worthwhile. Um, and, and same with the male characters. And I think there was an equal amount of stupid male-to-female characters. <laughs> and the one woman in this movie who is empowered, she's empowered because she has money. Right. That is true. But she's also... She would never have gotten to the point where she was able to use her money to get out of this without brains and, like, she was very clever. Yeah. Sure. She used a lot of, she's very smart. She's not necessarily, like, strong. She doesn't physically overpower anyone. Sure. But she, she thinks her way out of it, and then the money does help her. Yeah. And also, one, one thing, too, I mean... There's a lot of little critiques. I'm not saying, like, well, I'm just well, saying, one thing to keep in mind is that the first movie, as much as yeah, also, mentioned, I, the first movie, like, there is a lot of sexu female sexuality that is, like, gratuitous, but in the first one, the, the people being killed are men. Right. We follow men who are tortured, and so watching this movie, it doesn't come across, if you know about Hostile One, as 
th- like a place where men go to torture and kill women as much as these women right. happen to be the ones that these particular people are killing. It's not. It's an equal opportunity business in yeah. terms of well, the murder. And they do go out of their way to showcase. Even I, I like to consider this as a standalone movie because yeah. also one is not that good. It's not, yeah, it really isn't. <laughs> but. They do go out of their way to show the uh, Cannibal Holocaust director. Yeah, <laughs> his his little room. He has the guy from earlier, so he doesn't he doesn't have a woman. It is shown that there are men torturing right, yeah. men. Right, and and I I should say I haven't seen Hostel One. I probably never will. Yeah, fair. Um, but like like I'm saying, I wouldn't say that this movie is like an extreme feminist no. movie. No. I just it's was not daisies, yeah. Right, or uh, yeah, and it's it's not like Mad Max or anything. <laughs> yeah, but it was like I said, it was very enjoyable to watch, and it was very straightforward. It was like yeah. a cl- uh, clean horror plot. Yeah. Yes. And we watched a lot of movies at that horror festival that were not clean horror plots. Yeah, a lot of stuff where it was like like torso, where it was like yeah, there's yeah. like a, a like, period. If happening? you describe the plot, where there's just like dotted lines that you have to just <laughs> like. Yeah, and actually, the guy from Torso, the doctor from Torso, is in this movie. Yeah, and he stabs. Uh, uh, what's his name? Paxton from the first movie mm-hmm. in the chest in the same place that the killer from Torso stabs you. This killer <laughs> is a huge nerd. Yeah, <laughs> huge nerd. That is also something we learned from this. Yeah, today. I Eli appreciate Roth that. Is a huge nerd. Yeah, I love. Yeah, it's, it's no, fun. it's great. I it, I feel like maybe that's why some of us relate to his films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but the the thing I liked about this movie is even though it does fall in that like torture. Uh, horror genre. It's not like the Saw movies where, like I said, people are just getting put in these terrible situations and we as the audience are being forced to watch them suffer through it. As much as this movie does have people suffering through terrible situations, it never really glamorizes it to a point where you're like, oh, is this over yet? Like, when am I going to have be able to take a break from watching this woman get scythed to death. <laughs> yeah. I or, also... Like, I always yeah. think about... I always think about Saw 2, which, for some reason in college, all of my friends were like, yeah, let's watch all the Saw movies. <laughs> yeah, I even went to see Saw 3 in theaters, and I left after the first ten minutes because... Somebody had to, like, put their hand in a jar of acid to get a key to unlock something. And I was like, no, I don't need to watch this. So I left and I ended up watching The Departed instead. Way better. Way better movie. (laughs) But I missed, like, the first 45 minutes. (laughs) I had no idea what was going on. But whatever. Anyway, uh, the second Saw movie, there's there's a part where... They, like, throw a woman into a pit full of syringes, and she has to, like, look for a key or something. She has to look for something, and I just, I remember watching that, and I was like, why? Why is this happening? And there wasn't any point in, in Hostel 2 where I was like, why is this happening? Yeah. Everything made sense. Like, it, the, none of the... neat. Yeah. Yeah, none of the torture was just, like... Torture for torture's sake, you know. Yeah, and even like like the they kind of get into like these. Do you see these little themed rooms where 
it clearly like obviously there's like a like a, a very basic level and then if you have more money there's some fancier rooms that you can get but each of the people that we do see torturing someone it they're torturing them in the way that's specific to their like fetch like you're yeah. essentially seeing like the sexualization of violence for them the violence is not being sexualized for the viewer and so like the the cannibal when the cannibal holocaust director uh, is a cannibal and he's eating the guy it's not like the the business is like you have to eat this guy or whatever it's like yeah, yeah this is what i want to do and the woman who scythes uh don wiener to death <laughs> she wants to bathe in the blood because she is the countess bathroy <laughs> and so she she wants to do that and it's she does it yeah. the, the ultimate in fantasy realization that's yeah. yeah the point of it yeah you can buy whatever you want because capitalism reigns yeah. supreme and i, I do but... wish that they had gotten a little more into how the hostel works like how like they showed a lot of the back workings of like the bidding and the office structure and like how they kidnapped the the people but i would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that like i wish they had gone to the level of um taken you know, that movie? <laughs> I haven't seen Taken. You haven't seen Taken? No. Okay, well. <laughs> Did they really go that far into it? I remember, like, a bitty scene, they but They kind of get into it, and then there, there's, like, oh, this, I... you know, Liam Neeson obviously rescues his daughter. Because yeah. she was Taken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, very thought but I wish they had, like, you know, got a little bit, because that kind of stuff is really interesting. I know that's not the purpose of this movie, is the purpose of this movie is to be a horror movie. Yeah. But... I think that that stuff is really fascinating. Like the idea, it it would it kind of would get into like Black Mirror territory, where they get into the bureaucracy of this really fucked up society yeah. or this fucked up uh, privilege that you know rich people can utilize. I don't know. I thought that would have... I, I think that this movie's really good, but I would have loved to have seen a little bit more of that. I'm going to make a crazy comparison, but I think part of the reason this movie really works for me is it does the same sort of satire that I would say Wolf of Wall Street does, where it is a oh. it's a satire of capitalism by showing the excesses that unrestrained capitalism allows. Right, and sometimes you shouldn't have everything you want. Yeah, exactly. And that's perfectly illustrated by, what is it, Todd? The the guy who buys uh, oh. both the girls for him and his friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, the guy from In Her Shoes. <laughs> the guy from In Her Shoes. <laughs> um, but Todd is all about this. This is what he wants. He's so excited because he's always gotten whatever he wanted and he does yeah. whatever he wants and he loves it. And the second he actually gets in there and gets what he wants, or something doesn't go exactly as planned, he loses his yeah, shit. Yeah, the moment his fantasy breaks. Yeah. yeah, and he just falls apart. And that's exactly the problem with getting everything you want. That's mm. the problem with this little bubble built of money, yeah. is that the second there's a chink in it, the second something doesn't go perfectly, you don't know how to deal with it. Well, and also, in turn... The other guy, um, Roger Bart's character, he's he, from Revenge, Revenge, and also a bunch of other stuff. I, for whatever reason, always think of him from the producer's musical. Like, oh that's, that's what I think of him from. But um, his his whole thing too to tie into what you just said is he presents this facade of like I don't want to I don't want to do this I don't want to do this I don't want to do this and then when he's finally put in the situation. Then he's like, oh, I do want to do this. Mm -hmm. So if it wasn't for the money, he would have never been put in a... Most likely would but, not have been put in a situation where he would have been able to 
realize this fantasy. But does he want to do it because he realizes he wants to do it, or does he want to do it as a vengeance for his friend? Well, he wants to... Because that's when it... But no, he wants to do it before that, because before the other guy even attacks her, he he punches her and starts chaining her up. He has that switchover, because he has that switchover because... Specifically, it's not just that she's there and he goes to free her and he's like, wait, I can do this. But she starts telling him what, what to, to do. do. And that's when he has the switch over. I feel like that's where the critique on misogyny really comes into yeah. play with that character. Because, um, <laughs> because he is controlled by his wife. The entire thing that breaks him is that he doesn't feel like he's enough of a man. Yeah. Because, and... His entire fantasy is just torturing and killing his wife, having that power over her that he feels he should have. And that goes back to, actually, you bringing that up made me think about the scene where they're running on the river, and they talk about, like, who was the first guy in high school to lose his virginity, man? Right. Do you remember him? And then one guy remembered his name was, like, Greg or something. Which, of course, a guy named Greg lost his virginity first. (laughs) (laughs) But... Well, That's a good point. Well, and also, I was thinking, too, when, um, after the uh, guy from In Her Shoes dies, which he, because he has the breakdown when he cuts Bijou Phillips, or Whitney, with the saw, and he doesn't kill her, but, like, her hair gets caught, and it just is, like, really horrific, and he, he breaks. He leaves the room, and he's, like, crying in the elevator, and then the hostile people release dogs into the elevator and the dogs just eat him and kill him. Uh, but when they bring... And they really kill they him. They really oh, yeah. kill him. They but tear then, him apart. But then the hostel owners, they take a picture of Bijou Phillips when she's bandaged up and bring the picture over to Roger Bart. And Roger Bart, upon seeing the picture, he has this little conversation with Beth where he essentially blames... Uh, Whitney for killing his friend. He says right. there's some specific line of dialogue where he says, "I like it, it's worth it for what uh, what your friend did to my friend." And yeah, he shows no, her a picture she and he did, says, "You should see what she did to him." Exactly, but she did nothing. It's the presumption from this guy that, like, well, of course, the, even though she's like bandaged and chained up, it's like she did this yeah. to my friend, and so she has to pay. And that, so, have either of you seen the first one? Yes. Yeah. So, in the first one, is there the same rule where if you don't kill your person, then? Somebody has to die. That doesn't come up because the first one is entirely about those guys getting yeah. killed. Yeah, it's 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 like three three bros who go to Europe and uh, yeah, like very. It's the reveal is like even slower because the, and that's part of the reason why in Hostel Two they introduce the the background stuff really early on because oh, it's you know. presumed you know. But it's funny because like I said, I hadn't seen Hostel One and you hadn't seen Hostel One when you watched Hostel Two, and yeah. it makes Hostel Two way more interesting that it takes this like God's eye point of view on the action and mm. like yeah, you, you can get to see, see both sides. You, yeah, and so you see the way in which like while one thing's happening, there's this subterranean level working around it. Like these girls aren't just on vacation; they're being watched, and then like the people who are watching are feeding information to another person who's like putting in a computer and then these uh, white guys are like bidding on these women mm-hmm. and it's like all that stuff and it's not it's, just white guys oh not just white guys yeah a lot of european guys and some japanese guys and, mm-hmm. yeah actually i think <laughs> yeah they made sure that guy had a samurai suit in his <laughs> office yeah well and in the first movie the director of Hop- happiness of the katakuris is one of the clients who comes in, in oh really somebody. yeah what? Takashi Miike. which yeah, again it's like an eli but roth. how does he know eli roth eli roth it's it sounds like 
Eli Roth is just such a big fanboy that, well, and he, he <laughs> Quentin Tarantino was involved, so I'm sure Quentin Tarantino reached out, but Eli Roth, it sounds like from the trivia I read and the, the commentary I listened to on Hustle too that he, he is just like, oh my god, you're my hero, would you please grant me the honor of being in my movie for two minutes? And oh, like, okay. I gotta do two minutes? I don't even have to talk? Yeah. Sure, awesome. And then, and then, <laughs> and then afterwards, they do the scene, and he's like, "Thank you so much. Just means so much to me." And they're like, "Wow, I I got paid to do this." <laughs> this guy's really happy. He's about probably it. just a really nice guy. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like he is. It just sounds like his movies, unfortunately, like make people think he's this like awful bro. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, because sometimes that's the type of people... I feel like the Saw comparison is really interesting when yeah. you actually look at the movies because Saw did get this following that was just people who wanted to prove something. It was just like, I can sit through this. This doesn't scare me. This doesn't gross me out. Yeah. And that's what you got from the whole torture porn genre. And Hostel 2 is a little, it's about a little bit more of that. I it's always not find just it an endurance challenge. Yeah. yeah, I always find it interesting who likes the Saw movies. Because actually, my, my wonderful sister-in-law, who's like the sweetest... Uh, person, she really likes those Saw movies, and I, I always was yeah. surprised she's like by that. Stuart, she's got an <laughs> inner psychopath. <laughs> I think I think it's. I, I don't mean to speak for her, but I'm just like people who are interested in the Saw movies. I wonder if it's more of the puzzle aspect, you know, like trying the people to, who yeah. are trying to escape. Like, how are they going to escape this terrible, horrible thing that's happening to them, or the situation that they're in? Because the first Saw movie is really interesting. Because, you you know, you don't know what's going on and all the different moving pieces, you know, Jerry yeah, Saw and yeah. all that. But the second one, then that is where I, like, drew the line. Like I said, when they drew the girl in the, <laughs> the pit of syringes, yeah. I was like, no, no, I'm done, I'm out. Well, the first <laughs> Saw movie kind of appealed to me just because it's like a play. Yeah. yeah. For the most part, it's two guys in a room talking to each other. Yeah. Like, that's... Awesome. It, it could it has, easily it be explored. A it's explored some cool things with that part, and then it went off the rails. But yeah. <laughs> the, so Saw kind of opened the doors for this kind of thing, but there was definitely other stuff going on before it. And yeah. yeah, it took some inspiration from other things. I yeah. feel like in the the horror retrospective of the two thousands, this Hostel and Hostel Two would be like big landmarks. Well, actually, if you remember. When Carrie and I uh, earlier this year went to Seattle for a vacation, a lovely vacation. <laughs> we, went, we went to this. Meet. Don't tell people our personal things. We went to uh, a meet, uh, like a, a an arts and media museum, and they had a section on horror. It was like a museum retrospective on the history of. I think it was it, really. It cool. was international horror, but uh, one of the big things there was about Eli Roth and Hostel, and how Hostel was like. A big, it's like a big turning point for modern horror. And yeah, because it, it's. I've, I read this in his trivia. He has only made movies that have like quadrupled the budget. Yeah. So anytime huh. he's made a movie, it's made like four times as much money as it cost. That's and so awesome. that's why it became such a staple is yeah. because it was so profitable. Well, yeah. and that's a big point of the horror genre. You can make a horror movie with no money, and it'll be great. Blair Witch Project is yeah. still a good movie. It really holds up, it, yeah. It does it's really, really great psychological things, 
And I know it's kind of a joke now because all the found footage stuff that's out has yeah. kind of discredited it. But well, and it there's was like amazing eight of them at the time. Now. Yeah. But and yeah. even, you can even shame. expand that further back to like Night of the Living Dead is like oh, the yeah. original proof of you need no money to make a really effective. Well, and it's, I'm glad you brought up theater. Uh, at, Believe it or not, you brought up theater because um, like oh, horror yeah. and theater work on that same sort of thing. Or it's like the less you put, the more you're supposed to focus on these little minuscule moments, and that's really what makes it effective. Like, right? Like you, because horror works if you can empathize with the situation, and if you're trying to follow like a dense mythology, horror doesn't. It's not really scary trying right. to follow like a, a complex story. But what is scary is following the human experience through it and especially with Hostel 2 Hostel 2 is so much about humans navigating systems in, in a very abstract way mm-hmm. like even though like the women don't realize that they've entered the system and so we don't get their first person like emotional reaction to it we are seeing these like transitions through these like in these con- increasingly confusing and overwhelming situations like the train where they go from the safe car to the, as you described, the bad yeah. car of town. <laughs> yeah, they're on this beautiful train. It's got like a club car with two different bars. It's all like high tech and really nice and clean. They have just a beautiful little lounge car with its own little private window and everything. And then they go to get drugs in this part of the train where these dudes are in a car that's all graffitied and dirty and just, like, falling apart. It's like, why is this the same train? <laughs> and, and just a really... Gr- another great... There, this movie... We should Let's talk about this for a second. This movie, watching it this time, has so many great production design details that oh I never God, noticed. Yes. And, and in that scene of the bad car, uh, there's <laughs> a guy who has no lines in the scene. He just has a knife in his hand and he's tapping it on this, like, picture of a supermodel. He's just tapping it on her thigh so that the, the point of the knife is, like, cutting into the picture. And it's just, like, a background detail in that yeah. scene. It's so good. Kind of like, and, and then Stuart, Roger Bart's character, when he's first introduced, he has that poster in the background that says, Love and Family. Yeah, it's just, it looks like it was drawn by a child, but it's huge and framed, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know what's it's up like with that. It's, like, unmissable in the background yeah. of the shot. Um... There's a lot. Well, of you guys. Uh, uh, speaking of production design, you guys talked about the lighting a lot. Oh man, the lighting is so good. That's something I'm especially interested in: lighting and colors. And the beginning, the first act, probably the first half of the movie, is just extraordinarily warm. Everything's kind of orangey yellow. Everyone's happy. They're outside in bright sunlight. Everybody looks gorgeous. And the second you transition into the industrial setting, the place where the tortures happen, everything's cold, it's dark, it's harsh shadows and bright, just gross light. Just blues and greens and terrible. And there's like a lip, they do a good job of like, it's really rare when you see this, but they do like color foreshadowing. Where certain, like, they'll start to introduce that cold around the fringes of certain scenes. Where, like, mm-hmm. like I, I, dur- I noticed during the carnival sequence, all the characters have yellow lights on their face, but all of the background lighting is blue. Yeah. And when they're in, when they go to the, um, the spa, which is basically the scene where the, where Beth and Whitney are finally taken away, that spa, even though it's, like, very 
there's a lot of light. They're outdoors and everything. Mm-hmm. It's blue. It's that cold blue, but it's not overwhelming yet. It's just right. like it's about to be overwhelming. And yeah. it's it looks kind of still peaceful and bright until Beth wakes up and everyone's gone and she's isolated and alone and then everything looks almost like foggy, dark gray. Yeah. How did they get everybody to leave? <laughs> yeah, I wondered I, that too. Like, I, what the f- there's a couple moments in hours? this where I was like, okay, I'll, I'll allow this this movement. <laughs> because it's, there's just like a few, like, we talked about this too with the, um, like one of the bubblegum gang sequences where it's like, why exactly is this happening? Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't totally work, but it's also, this isn't really... Uh, and it's most of this movie is so well thought out that those few moments you could tell they just want to have fun, and I I can allow that like that the whole thing where everyone's gone from the spot doesn't make sense but it's so atmospheric and it br- builds up so much suspense that it's especially we just did Inferno very recently yeah. I can't I can't hold Hostel to uh, accountable for something that I would never hold <laughs> Inferno yeah accountable that's true for. yeah sometimes you do have to just say like yeah I'll allow it yeah. it's. Well, and also relating, uh, tying into that too, the sound design in this movie is really incredible. And I was saying to Carrie that, like, some of the most effective scares in this movie are the result of just really great sound design. Like, yeah, and yeah. the the one go to example I thought of is when uh, Lorna Heather Matarazzo. A.K.A. Don Wiener gets... A.K.A. <laughs> the best friend from the Princess Diaries movies. Yes. And yes. Uh, one of the friends from Saved. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. She's in everything. She's, a, she's awesome. She she's steals amazing. the crown. Yeah. But um, anyway. <laughs> she she gets killed by a snipe. And uh, <laughs> her scene, there's this one particular... And the, the, the whole movie, there's a bunch of little things, but this one stuck out to me because of the strategy behind it. So Lorna is kidnapped, and we see her hanging completely naked from chains from the ceiling. Yeah, if and you ever wanted to see her naked, this is, a this good is your movie. chance. This is the movie. Yeah. So they drag her in and they hang her over this this tile bathtub and they light a, a bunch of candles are lit and then They light the candles with blow with torches. With blow torches. Yeah. So it's that like noise that comes on and just yeah. like automatically Ooh. it's more stressful than if someone's lighting a match like a, a lit match doesn't have the same threat to it as a blowtorch but then all the candles are lit and the men leave and this woman comes in and she takes off a robe and she's completely naked she gets in the, the bathtub and has in the bathtub there's this long scythe she grabs the scythe and brings it up and starts sl- uh, just basically dragging the scythe down uh, Lorna's body. And as it drags down this her body, it's just like the very point of the scythe is caught on her skin. It's not cutting her, but it's dragging down. And there's this sound effect that is... There's no way on earth that metal plus skin would ever make this sound. <laughs> and especially, it would not make this much noise if you weren't cutting somebody, if you're just, like, dragging an object across someone's skin. Yeah, it's like a dry, scratching... It's like, like metal on metal sound. Yeah. But it, and so it's not even remotely a realistic sound, but in the moment, it conveys perfectly the feeling of a sight that is probably not clean rubbing against a very vulnerable person's body. Yeah. It conveys that fear. And um, and there's one other moment around that same time that's another good uh, sound design moment, which is when the Stuart and I cannot remember the guy from In Her Shoes' name. Todd. Todd. When Stuart and Todd are, uh, they 
I don't know, they're they're at a spa or getting a massage or something, but they're toasting with water, and they drink the water, and Todd goes to throw the cup away, and he throws it, and you don't see a garbage can, you don't see the bottom of the shot, you just hear the cup not hit the garbage can. Yeah. (laughs) And it just clinks on the floor, and then they walk into, like, a room full of strippers, and it's one of those things where 100% does not need to be there, but it fits Todd's character so much, and the attitude of these rich white men that they're just th- they throw garbage on Whatever, the floor yeah. like it, it just it's just little stuff like that it's like so thoughtful and so adds so much detail to the world and the whole movie is designed like that i was also interested in the kind of in the vein of sound design how little music there was yeah. in this movie that's kind of off-putting from a certain angle like the entire opening credit sequence was really interesting to me because it was just what it was the sound of like Fire. Yeah, just like a churning furnace, just yeah. burning so hot that it creates a like rumble of heat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was that was the sound for it. That was it. And usually there would be music. There were select moments where they used music at the festival and it's during like, the, yeah. yeah, and, and the during, festival where they're dancing to like music you can't dance yeah. to, right. <laughs> and during the montage, I think was one of the few times they had music actually like interposed over yeah, the like of the word, but... orchestral music right yeah. and it was really effective too because it's it when the music ends and there it's like time to torture it's like it just oh yeah that it's was so a, good. such it's like this very beautiful graceful thing as they're like brought in well you're not we're not following the girls we're following the men as they like probably right. imagine if you're doing something like this it would kind of just pass by almost like a dream because you wouldn't even be able to like think Accurately, you would not be able to distance yourself from the moment as you're brought into this giant warehouse and get dressed to murder somebody. You couldn't, you, you mentally, psychologically could not handle it if you processed it accurately. Right. And so this music does create this like distance, this accurate distance from it. That as soon as the metal door slams shut on the torture chamber and we have no more music and we're in this grimy, dark place, it really sits in how grim things have gotten. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, there's that's yeah. yeah. That is so a, much a intelligence in the way this movie is assembled. Such a well-put-together torture porn movie. What are some scenes that we could talk about? Because there's not really... I mean, we kind of talked about the subtext. What are just some cool things that happen? Okay, let's talk about the Bubblegum Gang. Because okay. they come up two or three times, and they have... Everything that happens with them so, is so weird. I have to ask, actually. You've been calling them the Bubblegum Gang... Do you know what they're called? Is that actually what they're called? Or I, do you just call them that? I think I call them that because I listen to the commentary and they call oh, them that okay. on the commentary. Cool. But I also can't remember Hostel 1 well enough to remember whether or not that's what they're called on screen. But they're I'm, in Hostel 1. They're in Hostel 1 and I'm pretty sure what happens in Hostel 1 is they ask someone for gum. They like try to get gum. Oh, from somebody. and that's why they have gum in throughout the entire second movie. They're just chewing gum yeah, the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> or, or maybe it's something like that. Or maybe that's why. But they they're called the Bubblegum Gang, and um, the very first time we see them in this movie. They approach the girls, and they're like, ah! <laughs> Just like, yeah, yell loudly <laughs> and open their hand, and Lorna tries to give them a smint, which had, like, again, one of those production design details where someone totally had to make the smint container uh, with, like, the little, like, a yeah, little smile, a smile on it. It's, like, really hilariously well-made, a fake product. Would you like a smint? And they spit in Lorna's face, and they're like, ha, 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 as they, like, run away and chased off by the, the mean... Slovakian model lady. Um, um, Excel. Excel? That's it. Yeah, that's, that's Microsoft Excel. 
but then later they show up because they trip Beth in the woods, and there's this bizarre... Who wants to describe this scene? Okay, so this was my first viewing of the movie, and this is how I interpreted it. Okay. This little punk gang, they know that this uh, hostile thing has happened. The torture company. Yeah. So... They're, and they're just a group of punks. So I viewed the Smint incident as them just being punks. Yeah. Like, hey, these Americans, we could, like, try to hit them up for money. Or, like, you know, beat them up. And then they don't get what they want. And they make fun of them and run away. Second time we see them, they trip Beth. And they start beating her up for kicks. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I got out that of this. Yeah, they were I just like, that is yeah, accurate. we're not doing anything else, so <laughs> yeah. uh, let's just beat the shit out of this American tourist. Yeah, what they have she... like big branches that yeah. they're hitting her with. Yeah, <laughs> they, they have been clearly planning this because they're hanging out in the woods and they like pull a rope between two trees. Yes, so they brought a rope. This is not a crime of opportunity. No. And I, <laughs> I didn't think it was like specifically targeted at Beth. It was just that she was the first person to run into the woods. Yeah. And so they were That's, like, hey, uh, we're a bunch of punks. Let's just beat this girl up. Yeah, yeah maybe and they were then, trying to rob her. So once they beat her up and then the hostile people come and they're like, how dare you beat this girl up? And so I viewed the hostile people killing one of the gang members as like their revenge. Uh, on the the punk game, I figured it was a threat too. It was they they specifically he went and he took the gun and he pointed it at each kid's head. Sure. Like this Don't. could be you, this could be you, this could be you. Don't fuck with us. Yeah, and then he or made them choose one of them to be killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so that guy gets killed and the little punks run away. And then at the end, when they come back with Beth. I viewed that as their revenge because that woman was there when yeah. one of their gang members got killed. And I, I feel like Beth, Beth hired them, too. I sure. Because it's been established by this point multiple times that Beth has a ton of money, and that's how she gets herself out of the hostel, the torture chamber in the in the end anyway. And so why not spend a little bit extra money to get that like really solid revenge? And those kids obviously want to help too so right yeah. they're probably it, really cheap yeah they yeah. wanted a dollar yeah and it was already set up that like uh our purses had been stolen previously in the movie yeah mm -hmm. it was not just like a crazy out of nowhere thing yeah yeah so that's how i viewed it so yeah, i didn't think it was too i mean in the moment it was like why is this happening yeah. but at the same time i didn't mind it it's happening. a good threat yeah it, yeah it works and it gives another chance to have them involved in the movie and they're just a weird great atmospheric part <laughs> yeah just it's another thing to keep the mood from being too depressing like this movie could uh, it really could very easily be very grim and there's a lot of other stylistic things that help it to not be grim mm -hmm. but having children like punk children running around <laughs> really helps a lot like you don't feel i don't know when when these kids are on and they're not like innocent kids who i have to worry about where it's like mm -hmm. oh these little kids are shits <laughs> yeah. then it's like it makes the whole enterprise a lot less uh Bleak. I, mean, I feel I feel like to be a huge nerd, they're kind of the the chaotic neutral part yeah. of the <laughs> movie. Well, because we have we have the the bad guys and we have the good guys, and then they're just these fucking kids, man. Yeah. And there is some ambiguity throughout the movie that really comes to light in the end with Beth 
buying her way into the organization. Yeah. It's like, well, what's what's wrong, what's right when money's involved? But the kids are just like, oh, fuck it, we don't care. We're so yeah. what, what are they asshole kids? Yeah. What do they do in the first movie? In the first movie, how do they get away? Or why are they in the first movie? The kids? Yeah. They just, they live in that. I, I That's the thing, I can't remember to what degree the kids have any connection with okay. the organization, but as far as I remember, they function a similar way where they're like a group of kids who live in the town and at some point the boys from the main one run into them. And I think it was even a sort of thing where like Eli Roth said like fans love them so much that they had to bring them back. It's like, <laughs> it's not really like a, a crucial plot thing in any way. This no, Hostel 2, especially you guys mentioned that this movie made so, like the first one made so, so much, much money, money that like Hostel 2 really has a lot of like classic earmarks of like, well, we can do whatever we want with this. Yeah. But right. because it's, it, uh, it's Eli Roth and Quentin Tarantino, do whatever we want was like, well, what are the practicalities of this world that we could start yeah. <laughs> Since people are interested instead of like, what, like, how can we make this gorier and sexier? It's like, they really were like, what? They, they, no, they did explore yeah. further into the depths of what they were doing. Yeah, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and Eli Roth and Quentin Tarantino are still buddies because he was yeah. in Inglourious Bastards. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. And directed Nation's Pride, which, uh, uh, a.k.a. Uh, the original American Sniper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so everyone can point it out. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I did like that everyone in the beginning was ridiculously attractive, and as yeah. the movie went on, we kept seeing more and more just, like, normal-looking people, and then some ugly people, and that was... Yeah. Weirdly developed. I don't like, know exactly what significance that All the has. people who worked in the hostel were pretty unattractive. Well, yeah. and, and it seemed like that with, um, with in the first one, too, as far as I remember, and it's the inverse in the first one, but that the attractive people are usually victims, but then the people who lure them in are, if not universally attractive, they're attractive to the victims. And then once you're in the underground gross areas, mm -hmm. the, it's like just gross people because... It's like, uh, that's right. the atmosphere. Kind of the classic fairy tale, like, Brothers Grimm morality, where it's yeah. like, pretty people are good. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's exploiting that to great effect. And like, mm -hmm. just keep in mind how weird it would be if all the underground torture scenes of all the security guards were like, really chiseled handsome men. It would be yeah. very weird. It would be weird. It would be like James, it would feel like a James <laughs> Bond movie. But having like, gross... Uh, hairy, overweight European men who, like, speak broken English is like, mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of what, in the back of our minds, you think it was like a European torture environment. <laughs> I did love the two security guards who could not be bothered to watch the fucking footage. <laughs> it's just like that motorcycle scene. Yeah. It's like, oh, look at that one. Like, again, too, that it's just a job. Like, mm -hmm. it's yeah, not even, like, yeah, it's yeah. not even evil. It's just like, the, 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 again, the kind of this very American fear of, like, well, the original Hostel came out of a, a, a couple things, but it came out of this, like, post-9-11 fear of, like, we're Americans and the rest of the world hates us. And, and then so there's this, like, other countries that you go to where the people want to kill you who have nothing against you personally. Right. Now, people want to kill you because... That's just the way people are in other countries. Uh, and, yeah. and, and if this had been a movie set in the Middle East or in Asia, it would come across way more racist. But by choosing to set it in, like, 
very white Europe. Yeah. And, like, Slovakia, which is just, like, <laughs> basically, it's, like, it's not quite just doing the Cold War, it's the Russians thing, but it's, like, very <laughs> close, using that to spread into more of, like, a generic uh, European white ethnicity, then it makes it not about, like, it, it makes that otherness less of a racist otherness like we saw in, say, Zombie Butcher. Yeah. <laughs> which was super no, racist. Was oh, Dr. Dr. Butcher. Dr. Butcher. Yeah. Dr. Butcher. Yeah. And so that that's something I want rewatching this too. It's like, wow, even not even since then, I feel like there's tons of movies that have come out that have failed the simple test of like not othering other races. Right, <laughs> it's, right. It's so easy to avoid it. And especially in a movie like this that's all about gore and and that's not all about gore, but it's like from a genre that's all about gore and shock and nudity and stuff like that, for them to be like, but yeah, we're not gonna be racist. That's not the the point of this is to make a an intelligent movie. Right. <laughs> like like yeah, it's like, wow, cool guys, thanks. <laughs> that is yeah. Well, I I feel like it also helped with uh the ability to feel at ease because yeah. we we got a weird juxtaposition between the the foreign land not understanding the language. Like I felt like the uh beginning where we're talking the guy was in the hospital in his dream sequence. Yeah. And he's talking <laughs> the through translator. the translator and that was an odd I don't know. It was it was really interesting, but yeah. then later everybody looked attractive and everybody looked about like our our heroines did. Like everyone is white. Yeah. Everybody, yeah. everybody looks young and fun and just you know like somebody you'd meet when you're traveling abroad. Yeah, and they're at art school. They, the the whole thing with them starting a scene where they're they're drawing nudes mm -hmm. and so it's like outdoors and there's nude European people and they're attractive and everyone can speak English enough to like tell people about these cool things and yeah it does you're right it does kind of use that environment well I thought of another thing uh, kind of what we're talking about with the feminism of the the movie from earlier and this is another one that American movies continue to fail at but the way in which both genders are very well represented on both sides, or really on all sides, I think the only group in the movie that doesn't have women is the bubblegum gang. Yeah. There's uh, a girl. There is a girl? The girl holds the rope. Oh, yeah. Okay, so uh -huh. there is a girl, a girl in the rubber gang. There's just one, but like... In the the torture room, there's the, the the woman goes door to door to ask the clients, and she's followed by a security guard. But it's like a, an right. older, distinguished woman. And there's the the woman who's the one who does the makeup. The woman who does the makeup. There's a woman who recruits the women, uh, mm -hmm. which there's obviously psychological strategy. Like the women in another country would feel more trusting around a woman, uh, right. especially when you speak English. It's the same thing when, when uh, Bijou Phillips, Whitney, goes to sleep with that European guy who isn't uh, part of the hostel. He's just another innocent guy. Right. And Beth says, no, he's, he, he could be a creep and yeah. keeps her from sleeping with him. Uh, but like, but they they'll go to a completely different country than they meant to just to go with this woman that they met at an art class. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, and you see that well where it's like, the movie doesn't use men or women to take a strong stance on a gender as a whole, which, I mean, most smart movies don't do, but, like, it's very easy in horror movies, especially after we've watched a bunch where it's like, women do this, women trip when they run, or yeah. uh, women don't defend themselves, and... I guess, yeah. I guess what I feel is the most, uh, quote-unquote, feminist about it is that 
they're just a bunch of people with different skills and abilities, and the women are written with depth. Yeah. They're written well. Like, Bijou Phillips' character is, she's slutty, but there's nothing wrong with her for that. Like, no. her friends get mad at her because she's a huge bitch. That's different. Like, she's yeah. mean to them, and that's what she gets called out for. Yeah, and she's not punished for her sexuality, because no. both, I mean, both her and the guy get picked up and killed, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily because they're having sex or anything like that. Right. In uh, most horror movies, they'd get butchered while they were fucking, and they, they don't. Yeah, they we, don't get together. They She makes the decision with her friend, like, no, you're too drunk, and she's like, okay, I'll go yeah. home and Yeah, there's no sex it. in this movie. Yeah, there's, like, implication of people wanting sex, and but it's talked it. about, yeah. but yeah. The people who are having sex are the the, the clients who are already who are going to kill people. They have sex to kill time on their way to murdering somebody. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did they talk at all in the commentary about why Axel is very sexual towards Beth? I don't remember. I mean, there definitely is, like, a subtext of Beth possibly being, uh, I don't know, at least, I don't know, I, whenever I watch the movie, it does seem like Beth might be gay. This... Yeah, they never make a point of her with anyone except Axel. She might, yeah. well, that might I, be the point. Yeah, I am, I'm specifically thinking about when they're in the spring and... Axel kisses her on the shoulder right? Yeah. when she's, like, laying in the And she doesn't react weird to it. And I also thought about that in terms of that weird bucktooth guy, she's, like, she doesn't dance with him, obviously, and that makes sense in any context, but she, like, waves him off and doesn't want to have a conversation. Like, she's talking, she's like, oh, no, I can't dance, but she also is, like, avoiding eye contact. She's mm -hmm. doing all the body language of, like, I don't really want to talk to you. But when she spills the beer on the older man who isn't the type of boy who is going to be hitting on her, right. she can have a conversation with him, and she's not flirting with him or anything where it's like, ooh, you're a real man. It's like, oh, good, someone who, a guy who's not going to hit on me. Yeah, And right. so it, I, there's a lot about this where if she's not... Uh, coded as gay, she's at least coded asexually, where there is no sexual component of the strip for her, except where in the moments where, like, when she's being tortured, where she has to fake it to get an advantage over Stuart. Um, but yeah, it's and I, again, that's it's really interesting how like well that the, the character is written well enough where all these little things bounce off her, but it's still not so. Yeah, it's not it's, necessarily... They don't lean on it to the extent mm -hmm. where we're like, yeah, she's definitely gay because we had this terrible scene and this, like, really embarrassing thing happened. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, she might be, but it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, her <laughs> sexuality doesn't matter. Yeah. She's a character. She's experiencing these things. This story matters. Her a, sexuality yeah. doesn't. A guy yeah, when, awesome. we, yeah. when we first started the movie, I was... Because I asked you guys, I was like, is there going to be sex or, like... When they get them in the room, do they have sex with them and then kill them? But there really was no sex. Yeah. And that's that's nice. That's yeah. rare for a horror movie. Yeah, it really is. It's very rare. Even, like, they didn't even sexualize any nudity. Yeah. The one person we see really naked is Heather Matarazzo, and it's as unerotic as possible. I even well, love... her and the woman who kills her. Yeah, both of them. But, like, yeah. especially even in terms of... we, The camera really shows all of Heather Matarazzo's body, but it's the way in which she's chained up and the way in which she's hanging. Everything about the way her body looks is, like, this is 
what the human body looks like. It's not is it's not lit in a way that makes it sensuous. There's nothing where it's Yeah, and even the nudity at the beginning of the movie when they're in the art class isn't sexual. It's about drawing Yeah, 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 it's about drawing the form. Yeah, it's not that a weird Italian thing where it's like, look at this beautiful form that we're about to corrupt. It's like it's not it's nothing like that. It's (laughs) like Yeah, it's not like it's about vulnerability. Yeah, it's not like torso where every time the guy, <laughs> the guy kills someone, he like touches their boobs. And, yeah, yeah and he, like, that was the point of him killing them apparently in that movie, but just to touch the torsos. Yeah, no, there's there's not much nudity. There's just the weird. I do yeah. find it interesting how non-sexual that scene is with the with the sight, yeah. except the woman underneath is obviously getting off on it. Um, but on the blood. Yeah, of the, yeah. Well, and I, I, and like, we talked about this before, but it's in the trivia. They mention it's inspired by the Countess Bathroy, who is this serial right. killer of the 1600s who killed virgins and like bathed in their blood. Because and so... It would make her younger or yeah. something. Yeah, and whatever. so the, the viewer's not necessarily going to get that historical illusion, but even the, the idea behind it is not fetishizing the victim it's what she's getting off on is the blood right like it's the blood itself and it's, it's putting it in that same sort of logic as like oh yeah vampires drink virgin blood it's it there could be a sexual context but the idea is not that oh yeah virgins uh, are vampire targets because vampires love virgins they, yeah. it's not like that it's because oh because the blood is pure and it, it's it's weird but it's again it's not sexualizing it when it very easily could have. Right. Yeah. Right. I can see that. Is there any other little things you guys want to talk about? Uh, did anybody notice hair being a thing outside of the chainsaw? Not the chainsaw, but when... The bus saw. Yeah, yeah. The, the saw gets caught in her hair and it gets all messed up. No, and because we, we talked about this too during the movie, it seems like Whitney does a lot to emphasize her hair. Like, yeah. Not intentionally, but there's a lot of shots of her like brushing her hair or turning her head and her hair is, like, very well, voluptuous. Well, she's got, she's got, like, Natasha Leone hair. Yeah, she's really moving. curly, yeah. I, I feel like it's kind of the classic hair tied to femininity. She's got yeah. blonde hair, it's super long, it's, like, curly and yeah. and, yeah, it's, and so, part of that, I mean, that was obviously really a, a symbolic thing when yeah. he destroys that and destroys her femininity in a way he just can't. Deal yeah, with once, the fem- once the femininity is destroyed, she's just a human. Yeah, and what's the yeah. fun in that? Yeah. But I also noticed that um, when the woman with the scythe is killing Heather Matarazzo, or getting ready to, yeah. she, like, runs it through her hair first. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if there were more instances of that, or I was just noticing it this time around, because I didn't see more of that necessarily. Yeah, I don't but... know. I mean... Those are the most prominent ones, but both mm-hmm. of those times, it's like... that. It seems really pointed. Yeah, it really does. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, worth, it's, it's worth going back through to think about, because it, it, I do think there is something there. Everything that we've discussed so far, we've been able to find some good evidence to show it was mm-hmm. thought of. I, I, and honestly, yeah, based on this discussion alone, I would trust that most of the stuff was really well thought out. It really seems like they put a lot of work into it. And actually, kind of, Carrie, what you were saying earlier about... How it would be nice if the movie was like a little longer, got into more of the details of how it worked behind the scenes. 
But I think the only reason why it might not is because think about how efficiently this movie moves yeah. as is. Like, it probably mm -hmm. could stand to, just because what they give is so interesting, I would like to know more. But in terms of making a movie that moves effectively, we get so much information thrown at us and so many little plot lines and subplots and stuff like that and all of them are kind of bouncing against each other and i remember at a certain point being like hey we're 40 minutes into the movie and yeah, no i was i couldn't believe yeah it. like almost i don't even think we had had our first torture scene by that no, no. Like, yeah nothing we, it really it yeah it speaks to the efficiency of the movie that several other movies we've watched this weekend I remember saying, how long is this movie? Yeah. How long does this movie last? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we're halfway through. And this movie, every time you throw out a time, it's like, holy shit, really? Yeah. We're it, that far in? It cranks. It's, yeah. And so, like, it, 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 it only reason where we're like, it, could, it should be longer is because it worked so effectively with the time it did have. And that's right. a really, again, a really rare thing to see in any movie is a movie that leaves you wanting more. Uh, right. Especially a movie that is uh, ostensibly a torture porn movie. Where you're like, God, I want to know more about this right. torture porn universe. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, what was your favorite comedy moment? Because there is yeah, a lot that's a lot funny about this. I didn't really think anything scared me in this movie. There was some gross-out stuff, but what struck me were there were a lot of moments to laugh at. Yeah, period. I think. My, I mean, mine's right at the beginning where the Paxton. Uh, gets his head cut off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> and then there's the cat. The cat's like licking his for me. His that's decapitated body. That is like the tip off for me. That was like, oh, this is kind of a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> this like headless body sitting at the breakfast table. I don't know if you saw, but he has a bowl of cereal in front yeah. of him. So he was somehow eating cereal, and someone stuck up behind him, cut his head off without a struggle, and he just he like, like stayed like, there. And then the cat is just like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> he Delicious. forgot to he forgot to leave out food. For this morning, so yeah. yeah. Also, why wasn't the cat eating the cereal? Yeah. It has milk. Love milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite is the unplugged saw when Todd yeah. first goes at Whitney with the saw, and it's clear he's just trying to threaten her with it. But he gets like right up close to her face, and it just comes out of the wall, and he's like, yeah. "Shit!" Well, <laughs> I wonder what he was going to do to her that he, because he ruined it. But what was? What do you think he was going to do? I think like, he was just trying her? to scare her. I think he didn't really have a good plan. Yeah, he I thought didn't he was going to like, do anything to her face or her hair. Yeah, if yeah. anything, he was going to like buzz her, like just like cut her in a way, or a, and then he just like got the hair and it pulled it in, because like because mm -hmm. yeah because it. Yeah, because I kept thinking about that too. I was like, it really seemed like if he had just like continued, he would just buzzed her head in half. Yeah. And it over. And so it's like, he must have just been trying to fuck with her. But yeah, that yeah. when that gets unplugged, I do laugh every time. So you're like, you are so afraid in that moment for her. And then it unplugs and he laughs. And you're like, God, yeah. this is so weird. <laughs> this is happening right yeah. now. My, my favorite joke is the very last joke, which is right after Excel gets her head cut off, all the the bubblegum gang has a quick soccer match <laughs> and scores yep. a goal, yeah. and the last shot is of them celebrating the goal scored while her decapitated body bleeds out in the yeah. woods. And in the foreground, <laughs> they're just in the background going, That's, "Go, go!" That seems very much like an homage to House. 
It, it is like a very house <laughs> moment. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of like, like when the girl's and, head gets pulled out of the well. Yeah. It's it's so silly. It's like, and it's such a great tension. It's what a great way to end a movie like this, where it's just like, yeah, whatever. If you, we I clearly do not take this seriously. That's another moment when music plays though, isn't it? Yeah. Where it's like, yeah. Cause it was, I, I think I said it should be yakety sax. <laughs> really could be at that point. They're really trying to leave you on a note of like, listen, this is really gory, but think about this gore is like you. This is not serious. Yeah. Please do not leave this theater stressed Don't or upset take about this. Seriously, yeah. I also do want to point out that um, this isn't a funny moment, but we. I noticed watching this. One of my all-time favorite movies is Teeth, and. Teeth ends in a way that seems to have been beaten by Hostel 2, which is, uh, in this, Beth ends up cutting off Stuart's dick. Well, he's actually, his, like, dick and, and his balls. balls. Like, yeah, cuts them all off in one like, thing with, like, yeah. And How was watching that scene, Paolo? It's always hilarious to me, because I, I hate to <laughs> admit favorite, it. One of his favorite movies is Teeth. Is yeah. Teeth, yeah. It's, like, really funny, because you never see it, and it's, like, one of those things where, I'm like, I understand how horrible that would be. <laughs> so it's, like, real, and it's never used in a way where I'm, like, oh, what a, what mis misandry this movie has. Yeah. <laughs> they really hate men. It's never, ever used that way. It's always, like, revenge for what men have done to women, and so yeah. I love it. But, uh, so they cut, uh, Beth cuts off Stuart's dick and throws it to a dog, and the dog <laughs> eats it, and then Teeth reuses that ending later, and it's just like, man, I'm a, I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> I like, really the love that you can compare that two happens. movies that you really like. Yeah. And they both have that same thing. Whatever. Both, again, though, like I said, but, both of them use it as, like, feminist revenge, and yeah. I can't well, it's disagree. Also, it's also her only way out in that moment. Like, she doesn't, she just, doesn't blink about it. She doesn't care, but they say, you have to kill someone to leave here, and she just snips it, doesn't do anything else. She walks away and goes, let him bleed out. Yeah. She's like, I don't actually want so to torture this guy. Yeah. Too. It's it's a thing where it's like, I'm not sick like this guy. I'll kill him. Sure. Yeah. Got off this fucking misogynist dick. But yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a weirdo like you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to enjoy this. I just want him dead. That's also, it. I do love after he like gets his dick cut off, he has that like Silent Hill level of shaking yeah. where he's like shaking like faster <laughs> than the speed of light. <laughs> so he shakes is really funny. Yeah. Alright, well, I mean that's pretty much all I have, unless you or you guys have anything else you want to talk about. I don't think so. I I pretty much covered everything. Alright, well then we're gonna have to get into our teachable moments. I have one. Carrie, you have a teachable moment. Would you like to start? Are you surprised? I'm happy. Oh, you're happy. I'm oh, good. <laughs> Alright, secret. Um, okay. Teachable moment number whatever. I would like to talk about recommendations. I uh, try to take recommendations from people when I can. Um, but this movie was recommended to me by, uh, Paolo. Yep. And I did not believe him, and I actively fought him on watching this movie. That's why the, this is the first time I watch this movie. But Paolo knows me, and he knows me pretty well. <laughs> and he knows what I like. And so... Uh, I should have listened to you. You That's what you learned? Yeah. We also, we had the same, we've had the same situation with Antichrist, too. I should, we yeah, should Yeah, but that one I'm a little less convinced oh. of. Oh, right. 
Where I was that like, one's... it's not as bad as you think. Ooh. This is way less bad no. than Antichrist. Antichrist. Well, I, I <laughs> Antichrist. Seen Antichrist. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying, yeah, Antichrist oh. is also, is, I love Antichrist even more than Hostel 2. But it's Antichrist beautiful, is but way more dark. Yeah, yeah. but. Antichrist. I'm but the art of Antichrist is that the artistry of it is worth getting through right. the intense gore Yeah, it is, it is beautiful, and you're an artist, so, I mean, you'd get and that. It's Willem Dafoe! Come on! Jerry's still out. Jerry's still out. I but that one's, that one's definitely not as fun as No, Hustle it's not as fun. Hostile 2, I will pull but out is there party. Antichrist, yeah. I will watch by myself. Yeah, you watch is it there a Lars von Trier movie that is fun, though? I haven't no. watched The Boss of It All, which is a comedy so I don't what? know. He, well, Lars von Trier made a movie called *The Boss of It All*, but he like technically I like I haven't seen it and I haven't read a bunch about this, so I'm gonna get this slightly wrong. But it is to some degree directed by an AI program. What? <laughs> like he like <laughs> it's you have to read up about it. Uh, don't trust me on this. Look it up. But I yeah. I assume that movie's kind of fun to watch <laughs> to some I, degree. I don't also, know. Also, Lars von Trier. Uh, no, that's probably it for fun. <laughs> Lars von yeah. Trier movies. No. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to watch Dancer in the Dark on Thanksgiving, and we're just going to have yeah. a terrible Thanksgiving. Oh, good. Yeah. We're going to cry about Bjork. Yes, we are. Oh, you good. are. Yeah. Just, I know what happens. <laughs> I am definitely going to I will cry. tell you, Joel Gray shows up, so <gasps> that's that's a little bit of a reprieve. Hey! Yet. All right, Alex, do you have a teachable moment? I don't know what that is. All right, well, uh, with each episode, <laughs> at the end of it, we um, try to say one thing that you would want to pass on to a viewer of this movie. Something they good or bad that they could learn from this. Oh, man. And if you need a moment, I yeah, will so my, you do my teachable first. My teachable moment is when Paolo recommends something to you, you should take it seriously. Carrie yes, is more should. likely to cheat on mm-hmm. teachable moments than any other person who's yeah. <laughs> appeared on this podcast. L- listen, yep. listen specifically to Paolo about yeah. <laughs> Yep. Strangers. Okay, well, we kind of talked about this in uh, in a very broad sense, so I will pick this as my teachable moment because it's really true, but color is extremely important in film. And a lot of directors that we talk about loving, uh, a big thing that really unites their style is their use of color. Like Kubrick has a multitude of great qualities, but his use of color is pretty much peerless. Uh, like like overwhelming whites and uh, just like think about the color in the Stargate sequence, like how vivid it is. Or like, the the carpet in The Shining. The carpet in The Shining, stuff like that. But we also extend this to someone like Pedro Almodovar, who uses color oh, for like... see, I immediately thought about Brian De Palma. And, well, I'm, I'm just saying like color, like yeah. I would also say like melodramatic use of color in general. Yeah. Uh, Pedro Almodovar and uh, Douglas Sirk and Brian De Palma are all using color for melodrama, just varying degrees of melodrama. Yeah. And I've always had my pet theory that horror is melodrama pushed to like its furthest possible degree. Like, what is more mm-hmm. melodramatic than going, ah, don't kill me! Don't kill me! Look at my girl. Uh, you scared yourself. <laughs> I didn't scare myself. <laughs> keep, drink some water. Keep the illusion alive, Paula. You scared yourself. This is the second recording in a row where I've done that. Uh, <laughs> Don't but, um, scream. Yeah, I, I, now I know. That's my teachable lesson to myself. <laughs> Don't scream. But, so, uh, yeah, if you're going to make a movie... You don't necessarily need to focus on color, but color is a surefire way to make the subtext of your movie, the atmosphere of your movie, and the emotion of your movie stronger. And Hostel 2 
especially considering, as we've, we've repeated an endless number of times, the disreputable quality of this genre, you really don't expect to see color utilized as well as it is here. But as Alex pointed out, the color palette for this movie is very, very well considered. And honestly, if you fast-forwarded through this movie, you could get the broad gist of the flow of the movie just from seeing the colors flash by. There's some, there's some website that does this where they take frames of a movie and show its color palette in order. And I would love to see someone do it for this because you would see the, the gold and the heavy yellows slowly fade into blue and then like dark browns and greens. It's uh, and, and even like the very last shot of the movie, it doesn't do the usual horror thing where it's like, well, it's daylight now. We've, we've reached the other end. It ends on a dark in, note. in blackness and a dark note. It really does follow through with its convictions even on the color palette level. So yeah, watch Hostel 2 for a, a a surprising example of how color can be used in even like the grimmest of horror movies uh, to very smart ends. It just really, you got to be the type of person to think of that. And Eli Roth actually is. Uh, yeah. I suppose um, my teachable moment, I will just expand on that to... You don't have to be defined by your genre. Yes. Hostel 2 is a great example of really exploring all kinds of different ideas to tell a story. And we're calling it horror, but there's a lot more going on in it. And they use every little bit that they can to really get comedy. They have amazing design and things that... A lot of people making horror movies wouldn't think to do. They think all you have to do is have gore. All you have to do is be out in the woods. And if you're making a movie, you should be telling a story. You should be telling a story and that should be important to you. And ultimately, what's more important than your genre, what's more important than what people have done before, is what you want to tell. And I think Hostel 2 did a pretty good example of that. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I, in my yeah. mind. Yeah, there's, um, you can really tell any story you want with, a, you just have to be willing to think about it and explore and go beyond the surface of what you're writing. To, like, I mean, Hostel 1, all of the stuff that's in Hostel 2, the seeds were planted in Hostel 1, but they weren't necessarily seized on. And, uh, hopefully people in the future, uh, you'd want other directors to, instead of making Hostel 2, type movies as the sequel you hope from the start uh from this level of like thinking this hard about a movie and i think if anything eli roth got the chance to make hostile 2 specifically because of the financial success of the first one and he probably would have made the much more complicated movie if he had had the freedom allowed to him that right. you unfortunately have to earn with every movie in hollywood but yeah and i i feel like horror is specifically subject to this problem where a lot of people, a lot of the horror movies coming out now are really just kind of, they're, they're simple. They're one idea, it's a ghost, you're doing these things. It's not, it's not very fleshed out. But this movie shows that you can do that, and I think some of the best horror movies of all time really do prove that you're going to get better scares with better atmosphere. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like this movie was very gimmicky. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, there's no... Even though there are, but it's also yeah. I didn't really feel like this movie was very scary. Either. No, that's I, true. I, I, yeah, the one moment for me, honestly, the very first time I saw this, the moment, the two moments where I was like, 
watching it by myself, having no idea what to expect that were scary, were the opening credits, because it's that ominous thing of, uh, uh, as, as I've said before, I'm freaked out by people who I can't see their faces, and there's a masked man burning objects of people who I don't see, but I have to assume are dead. Uh. And so it's just like, that. that's like a very, especially with no music, that is just, just that rumble of fire, it's ominous. And so it's not scary, but it's, it's unsettling in an atmospheric way. And then the first moment where you see that Lorna is hanging upside down, when we watched it, Alex and I had seen this before, and Carrie, we had warned her yeah. that this was going to happen. But when you come to that scene where you have no idea that's going to happen, and you have that moment where you have to mentally go through, like, what is happening with her? Oh my god, she's hung upside down naked. There is no way this is going to go well for her. Yeah, there is yeah. no escape. Yeah. That is a really bleak moment to feel in the pit of your stomach. And um, There's definitely tension and suspense yeah. throughout the entire movie. But it's not truly scary. It does break yeah. out of the horror genre to be a, a much more broad, compelling movie. But sometimes yeah. that tension is more real than a jump scare. Yes. I'm, I'm really sick of jump scares, and I love horror. So yeah. sometimes the, the atmospheric or the more interpersonal, the, the stuff that really gets psychological with you and makes you feel something that's yeah. not just like, ah, that's better to me. Yeah. And on that note, uh, the most recent movie I've seen like that uh, that I'd recommend for people is Don't Breathe. Don't Breathe is kind of a lot of the things that we talked about. I, I would say I see a lot of that replicated there. So if... You want to know that people are still doing stuff like this. They are. And Don't Breathe is the best example of it. So see that movie, people. And you see it, Alex. I, yeah, I still have seen it. And you see it, Carrie. I'll see it. Awesome. It is really awesome. <laughs> and Carrie's fine with it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's it. So this has been The Secret Cinema. I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. And I'm Alex. Thanks for joining us, Alex. Anytime. Thanks, Alex. Yay. Thanks, guys. And we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Carone. All theme songs and original music are written and performed by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples are taken from the film featured on this week's episode. All logos and artwork are created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at CarrieSawThis and see more of her artwork at www.CarrieChafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at www.vimeo.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at www.letterbox.com slash Follow The Secret Cinema on Instagram at Secret Cinema Podcast, on Twitter at Covert Celluloid, or like us on Facebook. The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. The Secret Cinema is a product of Larry Levy Productions. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.